0: Thanks, Steve. Uh, good morning and welcome to Orkney AV. My name is Rowan, one of the pastors here, and it's so great to start this new series thinking through the songs of Scripture, uh, the songs in Scripture that point us to Jesus and how we can understand from each of these different views more about who our King is. We live in a world that is full of music and song. Have you ever noticed that? You can't go anywhere, and there's always music playing, whether it be in your head or in the shopping centre that you're in, there's sort of some jingle going on. Sometimes you're on hold on a telephone, and there's this music playing there. And I don't know if you've found this, it's always the same music. There has been a sale on, on hold music going on for all the big companies, because they've all got the same one. I don't know what's going on. I'm just like, this is, it just makes me angry. I'm, I'm waiting, it's supposed to calm you. They should have probably some classical music. That would work better for me. You know, you're sitting there, then they kind of pop on and go, oh, wait a bit longer and they put some music on again. It just makes me frustrated. <laughs> but music is everywhere. We go to parties, we go to wedding receptions, restaurants, bars, buses. In some, some way, shape or form, There's music going on. Sometimes the music's happening privately. I always find buses a little bit weird. You're sitting so close to someone, and you don't talk to anyone. That's that's the rule on a bus. I don't know what that is. But everyone's got their own personal music system in their ears, where they're just, like, focused on whatever's going on, and they're listening to something. I'm not sure what's on there, but there's this little private kind of thing going on for people. Or then there's those people that want to share the music that they've got. You know, they're walking down the street with their boombox. They've got this little microcosm of of sound everywhere they go. Or they've got the, the speakers on the front of the car and they want to let everyone know this amazing song and blast it out the front and be like, woo, this is the music I'm listening to and there's this sharing nature of it. Music and song is everywhere in our culture. I don't know if you've ever noticed when you watch a movie that songs and soundtracks have an incredible impact on our understanding of the plot line. I walked into the lounge the other day, and, and our, um, some of our kids were watching a movie, and uh, I think it was Lara had her headphones on, and so there was no sound coming out, and she had subtitles on. And I just thought I'd stand behind the couch and watch for about 10 seconds, so I just got bored. I'm like, this is words coming up, but there was no soundtrack. I'm like, this is just boring. But she was kind of engaged in what it was. Music and song plays an amazing role in us understanding what is going on in movies. You see, that's, that's why I, I find books just so boring, Right? I mean, imagine if you had a book, I mean, you could do this, a book with a soundtrack alongside it. You'd have, be, the problem would be how many pages it would take, right? Because particularly if there's an orchestra playing, you'd have like all these parts of music on one side and like three lines, and you have to turn the page and see the music kind of go on. You could do it, but it'd just be awkward. Now, music and song does something to us in a way that nothing else does. It's been said this, and it's a quote on the screen for you. Music makes, sorry, words make you think a thought music makes you feel a feeling, but a song makes you feel a thought. Let me say it again. Words make you think a thought. Music makes you feel a feeling, but a song makes you feel a thought. So I asked ChatGPT this week, the source of Halfback knowledge, um, to summarise, I thought, here's a quick way to do it, can you please summarise the theme of every song written in the last hundred years? I thought I'd challenge it, you know? Go away, you've got them all there somewhere, so you go, work out, the, summarise the theme of every song, and come back with the most prevalent theme. This is what ChatGBT said to me, love and relationships, love in all its forms, including romantic love, family, friendship, and even self-love has consistently been a central theme in song lyrics over the past century. Now, again, it was just predicting what someone would write if they were answering that question. But that's what ChatGPT is saying. What that means is no matter what age we live in, no matter where we live, what language we speak, all of us are trying to express and experience love or our lack of it. And we often do that through song. It's such a powerful way of feeling thoughts. And as we open the pages of the Bible... We find not only history of the way God has worked throughout history to reflect on, not only thoughts to think about who God is and what he's done in the world that we live in, we actually find songs in the scriptures, songs that help us feel a thought, and not just any thought, but the love and character and greatness of the God who made us, the one who made us for relationship with him. Now, there's no doubt that we all need to be loved, but the question is, where do we find that love? the book of Psalms, which is pretty much the, the greatest hits of Israel from the years 1400 BC to 400 BC, if you had that one on yourself, you know those greatest hits albums. The Psalms are that. They're the greatest hits of God's people. They're God helping his people to feel his thoughts after him, to experience him in his multifaceted glory, to, to know his plans and promises and, and the way he's worked with his people. And for that thought life to transfer into the emotional psyche of His people. So as we start this series today in the lead up to Christmas about the songs of the King, we're going to take some of the the, the major songs that we find in Scripture, like the one we're looking at today from Mary and her song about realizing who it is that is in her womb. And we're going to look at how they shape our minds and our hearts to feel God's thoughts after Him and see the King in new ways that align our, our head and heart, because so often we don't align those two. I really am excited about this series to explore how it impacts how we feel and the direction that God points our hearts and the object of those feelings. What we're going to see over and over again is that the songs of the Bible are songs of God's King, not just songs um, of God who is King, but songs about God's precious and chosen King that point us to Jesus, that are fulfilled in Jesus, that are ultimately about Jesus. That's our prayer in this series that will reorient our innate desire to express and experience love, to be captivated by the God who has expressed his love to us in his Son. So why don't we pray now as we begin this series that God would capture us to feel his thoughts after him. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to your word today, as we start this new series, we ask you'd help us to see what the songs of your scriptures show us, not only to understand who you are, but to let the impact of who you are shape and mold us, that we might feel your thoughts after you, that we might be reframed to keep seeing you in the light of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we lead up to Christmas... Our hearts and minds are often focused on so much, aren't they? There's presents, there's family, there's feasting, there's there's time off work. Sometimes there's the the joy of carols and festivities that we're going to celebrate together. But other times Christmas can feel a bit like a, a runaway train that's heading towards that family do, or that that kind of huge amount of work that we have to do that none of us wants to be there. It's like it's a a massive train crash waiting to happen, and then you kind of get through it, and you're like, phew, 365 or, or, or four days more, and then I've got to do it again. And you're like, oh, this is huge. But there's something about Christmas that if we see its focus, if we understand the trajectory of all human history and human history's culmination in Christmas, that it dramatically shapes how we think and feel about life. See, the center of Christmas is the Christ, is the King, Jesus. He's the fulfillment of God's promises. He's the center of human history and the crescendo, really, of the Bible's song of longing and hope and celebration. So come with me and hear one of those songs from the woman who birthed her Creator and her Savior. Let's read Luke chapter 1, verse 26. "'In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, "'to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. "'The virgin's name was Mary. "'And the angel came to her and said, "'Greetings, favoured woman, the Lord is with you.' "'But she was deeply troubled by this statement, as you can probably expect, right? "'Wondering what kind of greeting this could be. "'Then the angel told her, "'Don't be afraid, Mary.' For you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So we get to this part of God's word and human history, we see that God is about to change the course of all human history. The most Important three decades of all time are about to begin. These words open up something that if you haven't seen them before, or even if you have, need to reorient the way you think about human history. Mary heads to Elizabeth's house, who's also been visited by an angel and is also with child. And here we get the kind of greatest reveal, gender reveal, child reveal party ever, right? But it's not a gender reveal. There's no pink cake or blue cake kind of coming out here. But a confirmation of God's word to Mary, only a few verses earlier. Look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby inside her leapt. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Elizabeth here speaks of Mary as the mother of her Lord. That's incredible. Elizabeth knows that this child yet born is her Lord, the King, the King of all things. There's a sense where she worships this child. Now, at first reading, I think we come along, and we don't see that much special here. Maybe the the Immaculate Conception, we think maybe there's something special about that. But about her worshiping a child, we don't kind of say much, because really, so often in life, that's what we do with children. We end up worshiping our children, doing everything for them, and they can start to believe that they are the center of the universe. But the only one who has the right to worship their child is Mary, because he is the only one worthy of her worship. She calls her child, Lord. And not in a derogatory way like we do. Look at you lording it over your brothers and sisters. Stop it. No, no, no. This is her king. At this, Mary is just overwhelmed. Elizabeth has said what Gabriel had said to her as well, what the angel had just told her. These realities have hit home for Mary. And so she starts to experience the gravity of her current situation that in her womb, and think about this for a moment, in her womb, was God the Son, the one for whom, through whom, and by whom all things have been made. All of human history had been leading to and waiting for the moment for this child that was in her womb to come. And if you think about it, in some way, shape, or form, given that all things were made by him and for him and through him and that he was sustaining all things, the child in her womb is sustaining the universe. This is incredible. Incredible all of human history has been leading to this moment and so mary feels a thought she breaks out into song i kind of imagine it a little bit like the hills are alive with the sound of music that moment that she's just she can't hold it in anymore she breaks out it's not a musical it's okay the bible's not a musical if you hate musicals <laughs> if you love them i'm sorry it's not a musical it's still not a musical but she breaks out because she can't contain her joy not just because of what's been given to her but because of the monumental reality of what's happening in human history at this point. Look at verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. She she sings this song, and it's this incredible song, magnifying, glorifying, pointing to God. God. And rejoicing in God because he is her saviour, because he's looked on her with favour. Her, the humble condition of this, this girl, that the creator of the universe is here. Now, this song has so many parallels to another song that was sung by a woman called Hannah in 1 Samuel, where Hannah praises the birth of her child. And I've put a quick picture on the screen. There you go. I don't know if you can read it. What he's saying is the parallels. Uh, in 1 Samuel, uh, Hannah says, my heart rejoices in the Lord and I rejoice in your salvation. Mary says, my soul praises and the spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There's these parallels that go together. There is no one holy like our God, says Hannah. Mary says, holy is his name. Hannah says that the bows of warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Mary says he's toppled the mighty ones from their thrones the exalted and exalted the lowly. It keeps going on and there's these parallels between the two now. While there are many similarities in these, I don't think Mary's quoting Hannah. She's just so steeped in Scripture and the Word of God, in understanding who this God is, that when she breaks out in praise, the words that come naturally out of her mouth are the, the words of the songs of Scripture that she's sung before, that have been imprinted on her about the character and love of God. And here we see that Christmas is about God's character, and particularly, point number two in your outline... Christmas is about the faithfulness of God. It's about the faithfulness of God. See, God's promised he would send his king. Mary sees the the birth of her son as a fulfillment of God's promise, and a promise that was given way back in Genesis 12. Look at what she says in verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. This point in history, I want us to really understand, is magnificent. See, God had promised back in Genesis 12, though he and Sarah were old, that he would give them children. He would make them into a great nation. Have a look, Genesis um, chapter 12, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, says to Abram. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. Now that word there, descendants, um, that your descendants that she uses forever, to Abraham and his descendants, is a, is a singular. He's talking about one descendant particularly, and that's what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.16. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It doesn't say, and to seeds or descendants, as referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed, who is Christ. The Apostle Paul got this, but Mary for the first time is going, the one who is the fulfillment of these promises to Abraham, God's plan for human history, is here in my womb. And What she celebrates is not her role in that, but God's faithfulness to his promises. His faithfulness to His promises. Almost 2,000 years of waiting, looking back to God's promise, waiting for this King, this one who would come, who would bring blessing to the whole world. And Mary now sees history unfolding in utero, right here. Let me ask you today, have you seen the faithfulness of God? Have you let it sink in that God, He keeps His promises? His Word never fails what he says he does, and we have so many years of history of the reality of God making promises and bringing them to fruition. He does it every time. He is so faithful. Have you seen the faithfulness of God? Because that is what Mary is celebrating that God is faithful to his promises. What she sees is the, the character of God, that he's like no other. She calls him holy. Look at verse 49. Because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. Holy, set apart is what that means, like no other. What Mary is saying here is that God, his nature, his essence, his character, who he is, is described as like no one else you've ever seen, met, or experienced. He's completely free from sin. His ways are not our ways. He is separate from and exalted above all of creation. His his attributes are perfect and they all cohere in perfect harmony called holiness. God is holy because he is faithful to his promises. He's the only one who's like this. That's why he's set apart. There is none like him. And this is where I take it that, it's quite obvious that guys shouldn't be expected to do what, what we say we'll do, because God's holy. He's the only one that does that. So I don't know how ladies amongst us can hold guys accountable to doing what we say we'll do, like cutting the grass or those sorts of things, because here God is the only one that's holy, right? Okay, maybe that's bad logic. But doesn't it frustrate you when people don't do what they say they'll do? I, I hate that. Uh, Last week, I I told you about my, my habit I'm trying to work on at the moment, scripture before scroll, reading the Bible before I kind of look at social media and how Marketplace has been taking the focus from my life. Well, this week, I want to tell you why Marketplace is the bane of my existence and why I hate it. Because I've been trying to sell a few things and one of them was a cowboy costume. Recently, we went to a friend's party, and you had to come dressed as the letter C. And so Sarah and I went as cowboy and cowgirl. I was going to put a photo of us up, but I didn't get Sarah's permission yet, so I decided not to. But anyway, we, we bought these, these costumes, and I was like, great, we'll just sell them again on Marketplace. Anyway, they've been on there for ages, and I've had so many people say, yes, I want them. And, and, and so I organized my time to be around or to have someone there who can give them to the people, but they never show up. They say, I'm going to be there, and they never come. And Someone else says, oh, I'm going to get it this time, and they don't come at all. It's killing me. I hate it. It's so frustrating when people don't keep their word. But then I think of how many times I've failed to keep my promises, how many times I've committed to deadlines and failed them, said I'd be home at a certain time and haven't. We don't even keep our own word when we want to, do we? But God is so different. His word is sure, absolutely rock solid. He is like no other. What he says he does, and Mary says what he said he'd do, he's doing right here, right now in my womb. And he's doing it for us and for his glory. Point number three today is the characteristic of God's holiness. He's focused on mercy, Christmas, and the mercy of God. Look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel... Remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Not only is God's faithfulness clear to his promises, but his mercy is at the heart of those promises. His mercy is what Mary is astounded by. See, God could have promised to do something. You know, let's say he could have promised, look, in 2,000 years, I'm going to make an ant walk from Auckland to Wellington. You know. And then, you know, 2,000 years later, he does it. And everyone's like, wow, that was cool. You said you'd do it. you did it. And we stand back and go, he's faithful to his promises, right? In a sense, you go, who cares about an ant walking from Auckland to Wellington? No one cares about that because, well, an ant doing that has no implications for us. We might say, well done, ant. I don't know. Maybe there's an ant world kind of, there's a big reception in, in Wellington. And everyone's like, woo, the ant did it. And the ants are clapping. I don't know. That doesn't. Who cares, Right. But the implications of God's promises for us are His mercy, and that is incredible. See, a lot of people think the same about Christmas. They think Christmas is just like an ant walking from Auckland to Wellington, that nothing actually happened, it doesn't really matter, the clock ticks over and we, we do it all again. But when you listen to Mary's song, she says it's something personal and effective for her. It changes her world. the fact that she's having a child yeah that changes everyone's world for a while and for a bit but this is something much much more profound it's not just oh exciting I'm having a baby it's this is changing the face of humanity see Mary recognized she didn't have anything to offer God she wasn't royal she didn't have incredible influence she had no massive following on TikTok or Instagram everyone's like yes Mary's an influencer hashtag following Mary none of that was going on So often the things we get excited about are the things that we've contributed or the things that we've earned. But Mary here, with this child, she has a child she did nothing to conceive. With promises of a saviour that she, she had nothing to deserve about. And she had nothing to offer other than her acceptance of that which had been given to her solely on the basis of the word of God. Mary's song and Christmas celebrates that God the Son stepped into the world to take the penalty we deserve to stand in our place as a perfect substitute and to offer us what rightfully should be His, life eternal, not because we deserve it, because God chose to love us. The concept of God's mercy here is really what is behind every love song the world has ever heard. The idea of being loved, not because of something in us, but just because they love us. See, if love for us is based on something in us, something we bring to the relationship, then love is conditional on us delivering what attracted that person to us over and over again. You know, we feel great for a moment because they love something special about me. They love my sense of humor. They love my, my, my character. There's, there's things that this person loves about me. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. But then what happens is you start to feel the weight of what if those things change? Can I keep up the things that attracted that person to me in the first place, the reason why they love me, and what if I don't? Is their love then dependent on me still having those things? Those things in us become a chain holding us down, a weight to carry and a a threat to any love because it's conditional on us having those characteristics. What Mary experiences here and what we are offered at Christmas is an incredible love. It's not like our enormous Christmas present ritual, you know, where we give a present and we expect a present back, we exchange presents with one another and when the present isn't of the same value that we gave to them, we're like, oh, that's a bit disappointing. You're like, oh, didn't really match up to what I did. And there's this sense of an exchange that goes on. No, 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 no. This is, is a complete experience of, of God's incredible love for us. Of mercy, of not getting what we deserve, because we deserve death and judgment for rejecting God. We, we deserve not to be in God's presence. We've ignored Him. We've not treated Him rightly. We've never kept our word. Yet God shows us His love, totally undeserved. Friends, this sort of love is actually what we're all longing for and what we rarely experience. And it's what's being offered to us in Jesus. And it's what Mary can't help but explode into song about because she's experienced God's mercy, not getting what she deserves, but getting the Savior of the world because of nothing she has done. This is where God's faithfulness in Jesus flips the script on humanity. It's point number four, Christmas flips the script. See, it's clear from Mary's words and from the whole Bible that God, he's not partial He's not partial to the rich, to the powerful, or the proud. He doesn't go, oh yes, that one over there looks reasonably good, I'll, I'll come to you. No, so many people have faced God's wrath and anger because they've pretended that they're in control. Pretended that they could, they could do certain things or were independent without him. And as Luke, who's, who's collected together these writings of what Mary said, kind of puts them down for Theophilus. Theophilus was probably a, a ranking Roman official who had power and wealth and and pride. And so Mary's song here isn't just recorded out of pure historical interest. There's a word of warning and salvation for all of us in Mary's song. See, each one of us needs to look at what God is really like. He's not the least bit impressed by anything in us. Our our pride, our our power, or, or any opulence we have, he has mercy on those who fear Him. He, those who humble themselves and turn from that, look at me, look at what I've got to offer, that ego-boasting accumulation of what we can offer. Those who turn from that and, and turn from our, our wisdom, our wealth, our achievements, and turn to recognizing the love of God and accepting what He's done for us. That's what Mary means in verse 51, when she says, God has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. All the things that we find pride in, all the things that we would come and talk about, the, the, the pride of, of the good that we have, the mighty on their thrones, he flips the script. And says, you can't give me anything. I'm God. I own it all. You have nothing that I did not give you, no matter whether you trust me or not. You were made by me. All you have has been given by you. You can't give me squat. Yet I love you. The joy of Christmas is recognizing that God loves us because God loves us. Because God loves us. That it's got nothing to do with what we offer. There's nothing in us that he looks down and goes, oh, yes, that person there is a little bit better than them. None of that at all. That he just chooses to go, I'm going to lavish my love on you. Mary can't help but sing because of recognizing the mercy of God and him flipping the script that the lowly, humble Mary can be the one who carries her Savior to this world, can be part of God's mission and experience the mercy of God. Harvey Khan, uh, as a guy on the screen, was a missionary in Korea. He was trying to reach many of the prostitutes in the culture of Korea uh, for Christ. And in that particular Asian culture, prostitutes had a far lower social status than prostitutes did in other societies. And this guy was trying to do mission and see them understand the hope of the gospel and love these people with the people that were there in Korea. But he found that he couldn't break through. He couldn't see the news of Jesus, the mercy that God had offered, kind of. He couldn't, these women just didn't hear it. They often just said things like, look, I, I'm sorry, I could, God could never have anything to do with me. You just don't understand, I'm a scum. You don't know my past, what I've done. This is not for me. This is for the good people. And finally, this guy, Harvey, one day, he, he said, he said to them, look, let me tell you about the mercy of God, which really is the doctrine of predestination. The fact that God chooses to love us because he loves us to do with nothing to do with us. He said, God doesn't love you because you're good. God doesn't love you because you're moral. He doesn't love you because you're humble. He doesn't love you because you've surrendered. He actually just chooses certain people and sets his love on you and loves you because he loves you. At that point, these these women couldn't believe it. You mean he just loves people like that? And they asked him, how do I know if he loves me? And the story goes, he said this, When I tell you the story of Jesus dying for you, does that move you? Yes, they said. Do you want him? Yes, they said. He said, you're not capable of wanting him unless he is wanting you. You're not capable of loving him unless he is loving you. And suddenly he found that these women started coming to trust in Jesus because they got this radical new identity that God loved them because he loved them because he loved them that had nothing to do with them. Their identity was no longer based on their performance or lack of it. It wasn't based on on their shameful past. They were defined by the fact that God loved them, irrespective of who they were. That is the mercy of God, not giving us what we do deserve, showering us in his love. And here, that's what Mary is so captivated by. That all of human history is leading up to this point, as this child comes to the world, through whom God will shower us with his mercy and love and flip the script on the way that we think, that it's not about what I offer, but what we have been offered. And she stands in awe of the love of God. She's, she's amazed at God's incredible faithfulness to his promises, that he does what he says he will do, that he is holy and so different and so full of mercy, despite who she is, despite having nothing to offer, as a humble woman who's done nothing, who's seen as an outcast. And as the first Christmas dawns, she sings in awe of the king. Because of his mercy and love. Friends, do not think you have anything to offer God. We don't. Do not think we have anything to give to him that he has not already given us. Let this song of Mary, that the joy of trusting in God, whose plans and purposes find their fulfillment in Jesus, Captivate your heart with her as you read over her words, her looking back to the way God has acted, looking forward to the way he will act, seeing who is about to enter this world stage. Let those things captivate your heart and sing with your life in awe of the King. See, none of us have the Savior in our womb, but we do have the Word of God living in our hearts that God by His Spirit dwells within us, pointing us to His incredible love. Can I encourage you today, if you've not yet put your trust in Jesus, you've not yet experienced His love, then stop pushing it away and accept it. Come to Him and put your life in His hands. Recognize that you don't need to bring anything to Him, but He's shown you incredible love and forgiveness. And if you do trust in Jesus, can I encourage you to, Sing of God's incredible love and mercy and faithfulness with all of your life. Live as someone who's captured like Mary is by who Jesus is and what he's done. Connect the the thoughts of God's actions in the past and present with the the feelings of those actions and the the way they produce them in us. Sing of his absolute holiness. Marvel that he keeps his word. Stand in all that God flips the script on human pride and stand in the freedom of knowing that we are loved because of nothing we do but everything he has given us. Can I encourage you today, no matter what you think of Christmas, the ups and downs, that you stand in incredible awe of the king whose song we sing so that we might live in his love and for him. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that you keep your word. You are so unlike us. We're so thankful that your word is for our good and for your glory. And so we ask today that as we see your mercy, you'd help us to grasp more and more of what it is to be loved by you because of nothing to do with us. you would help us to respond, not just with the mental acknowledgement of that reality, but that that might shape the way we live, how our lives sing for you, how we think about the future, how we think about the present. Might we, like Mary, stand in awe of our King and live for Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.